0: Welcome to the Enduring Leadership Podcast. We are passionate about helping ministry leaders succeed, enjoy their calling, and endure even the most difficult moments. My name is Josh Taylor, and my co-host is my friend and former boss, Jack Hester. Today we're starting a five-part series we're calling Mistaught Passages of Scripture. But before we dive into our passage today, I've asked Jack to take just a minute to explain why it's important we take the time and do the difficult work of understanding the passages and being responsible with its context. So Jack, talk to us a little bit about what it really means to dive deep into a passage that we're preaching.
1: Yeah, so um, what happens a lot of times is when we approach a passage, we tend to think of it from our perspective if we don't do this kind of research. And when we do that, we're reading something that was written 2,000 years ago to a whole different group of people who lived in a completely different culture, who spoke a completely different language and we're interpreting it into our culture, into our language, and into our experiences, which obviously that's going to create a completely different outcome or perspective of what the passage is actually saying or what it's calling us to do. So to be true to the passage means that you're gonna first go to that original author, to his original audience and to the original context or culture that was written in. And then you're gonna decipher from that what was he saying when when he wrote these things and the people who he wrote it to heard it, what did they think of when they heard these words or what did the um, uh, context or innuendos or any of those types of things, that'll be a part of the grammar or the language, um, what did it mean to them? And then once you determine that, then you can read it back into your culture. And so we call that um, exegesis or even hermeneutics. The exegesis and hermeneutics go hand in hand. Exegesis is really breaking the passage down and the hermeneutics is applying that passage after it's been broken down. So those two things, even though we talk about them separately, you can't do one without the other. They, they go hand in hand. Exegesis without hermeneutics is just, you know, exercising in grammar and hermeneutics without exegesis this is just really worthless because you're not going to come to the true understanding of that passage.
0: So we do uh, our exegesis to really have good hermeneutics. Exactly. And so that's what we're going to focus on over the next five series or our next five episodes and we'll probably do this throughout uh, the podcast just just break it up and, and do little mini series like these uh, but today we're going to go over revelation three and this is one that growing up in student ministry uh, i often heard it at youth conferences and things like that and and, and probably have taught this passage out of context before and uh, you know it's the the hot cold lukewarm passage um, and you know, hearing that, I was always you know hearing it at youth retreats, saying you know you got to be hot for Jesus, or you got to be <laughs> Which uh, on weird. fire. Yeah, it does sound a little weird. Um, I think <laughs> of a couple of other ways to put that without it <laughs> coming across the wrong way. <laughs> and so uh, I had to be on fire for Jesus. There that, you go. That's much better. better. And uh, you don't want to be cold because those were the non Christians. You really didn't want to be lukewarm because those are like the fake Christians. And you wanted to be on fire for Jesus. But that not may not be actually what. Uh, John was thinking as he was writing these words of Jesus Uh, so walk us through this passage and one of the things you know Obviously with exegesis um, It can be a lot of work. It can be a lot really difficult But one of the things that that I hope you'll do with us here is Show us what we need to pay attention to in these passages Uh, And one of the things that we'll do in the show notes is provide some resources that and commentaries that are helpful and, um, and, and doing good exegesis and having good hermeneutics as you preach through these yeah. passages. So walk us through Revelation 3, uh, 15 through, I guess you're gonna go through 17.
1: Yes, so first of all, just say a uh, comment on what you already talked about there is a lot of times that's a great example of what we were talking about in the beginning and that is you approach a passage, you're you're talking to a youth group, you want to fire them up to live for Jesus. um, And those are all good things. There's nothing wrong with that. But what happens is you then begin to try and find proof text for what you want them to do or what you want to encourage them with. And you find something like that, and then you just end up, instead of going and figuring out what it really means, you just make it fit. Mm -hmm. So in our context, hot and cold, um, we think of uh, a shooter in basketball. If he's hot, he's making it. If he's right. cold, he's not. So right. we think of them as the antithesis of each other. So, but when you begin to look at this passage right here, um, look at look at how it really breaks down. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Now. The thing that you've got to pick up on there, number one, you, you see hot and cold. They show it shows up there several times. Right. Okay, um, but hot and cold always show up together, and he says you aren't this. I wish you were this, but you're not this, okay? right?
0: Which was always what confused me is, you know, Jesus will spit the lukewarm out of his mouth, but he won't spit the cold out exactly. You know, and and it's a, the way that I always read it growing up is, you know, I'd rather you be against me and not be fake about it because at least I can respect that. But exactly. that's and that's the way it's Jesus been preached.
1: That's exactly right, and that's really the, the take that the 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 way that it gets applied because they approach it from that perspective is. Well, even though you're completely rebellious against God, at least you're not faking it, you're not fooling anybody, you're being true to who you are, and God appreciates that. But the problem with the passage is, it says that he spews out the lukewarm well the scriptures if you take it in the whole context of scripture which again good exegesis says we let scripture interpret scripture so in other words if you want to know what the true character of god is or what he's saying he's going to be consistent through the long haul so when you go to the rest of scripture it doesn't ever say anything about the cold get off easy mm-hmm. or they don't get spewed out or they you know don't end up in judgment no they
0: do right so that can't be what he means i can't here. imagine that that's <laughs> the outcome that jesus would want exactly for us at least i can respond Respect that, but you're still going to hell, right? (laughs) That just doesn't seem to. But you got my respect down there. Yeah. So the first thing you want to
1: pick up there is the cold and hot are always together, and the cold and hot are always pitted against the lukewarm. So the way I would explain that is we tend to think of hot and cold as the antithesis of each other, Mm -hmm. but in this passage, hot and cold are both the antithesis of lukewarm. So hot and cold are always together and used in the same context. Lukewarm is the one on the other side, and they're pitted against each other. Mm-hmm. So there is a desire that we be cold. Um, that's another thing that would be problematic. Is it doesn't just say, um, you know, hot and cold I can respect. It says I would rather you be and would god's desire ever be for us to be rebellious or to be against him or to live for ourselves i think you can't make that argument that god desires that for us so it's got to mean something else so whenever you figure out that and you're going well what's going on here um how do i understand this well then you begin to look around the passage so this passage is written to one of the churches in the seven that john Uh, who he's writing in the book of Revelation but at this point it's Jesus talking and he's sending these angels to the churches or he's sending this letter to the angels of these churches.
0: And these aren't just uh, you know metaphorical churches these are actual physical churches. churches Actual physical
1: churches. Some of them like Colossae uh, is a church uh, that that existed in this day and time that was really close by where this church is. Um, Ephesus is one of the churches written to. We know Paul visited Ephesus many times had a strong relationship with them. So this church which is the last one actually mentioned there. It's the seventh church mentioned in the seven, and it's the church of Laodicea. Um, Oddly enough, the word Laodicea uh, literally means the rule of the people. Um, and it was a place where probably one of the first democracies where people literally had a say in how they were governed. Um, Even though it was um, connected to the Roman Empire, they were almost very much self-sufficient. We'll get into that in a minute. So when you begin to look at this passage and you understand who he's writing it to, then you begin to back up and go, okay, well, what do I know about Laodicea? Well, when you go into Laodicea, I have this map right here I will show you. When you um, begin to look at where Laodicea is right here, Um, you notice there are these two cities that are very close by. There's Hierapolis to the north, and to the east is Colossae. And again, Colossae is the same city that um, Paul wrote Colossians to, the church in Colossae. Now, here's what's interesting. When you begin to look at these cities and you begin to study them in their first century context, Hierapolis was known for hot springs and Colossae was known for its cold water. If you notice on this map right here, you'll see this area right here that looks like bluish and looks like it's out in the middle of a desert or something, but actually this is like uh, showing you elevations and the elevations, because it's like that, it's snow on the top of the mountain. So these are very high mountains. yeah. Yeah, exactly. So Colossae is very close to the edge of this mountain and because that snow melts, that snow would then run down to where Colossae is and it could be gathered there and they had very cold water. Well, travelers knew this and they loved to stop there and get a refreshing drink of water, especially on their long travels because there was actually a trade route that went through this area. So the travelers were known for getting there, getting that fresh drink of water. It was also used for medicinal purposes, just like we use it today, cold therapy um, for achy joints or injuries or anything like that. Now Hierapolis was known for its hot springs. Um, it was much like what we have here in the United States. You can go to those places where there's those natural hot springs, you can get into them and you know, it's like being in a natural a, hot tub, tub yeah. It's basically what it is, it's like a spa. And it was used for those spa-like purposes. Um, even then the Roman soldiers were known for going to Hierapolis for R&R when they were having time away from their duties and responsibilities. And uh, so this was used for medicinal purposes and it had a great benefit to the people who used it. Now. Interestingly enough, if you notice where Laodicea is, it's not close to the mountains at all. It's out in the middle of a valley. It's close to this river, but remember, this time they didn't have uh, pumps.
0: There's a lot of work to get water from the river. Yes, yeah, so you
1: literally had to get it with a bucket because right. it would the elevation. You're higher than the river is, and gravity doesn't work in your favor <clears throat> when that happens. So. Laodicea was dependent on, actually, I'm gonna kind of draw it right here. Uh, South of here is where some other hot springs were and they created an aqueduct that would run from this higher elevation all the way back down to Laodicea, okay? Well, this is about a five mile trip that um, that water is making through the aqueduct so you can imagine starting off hot by the time it makes that trip five miles and it gets the way out see it, it's no longer hot it's lukewarm okay mm-hmm. it's not cold it's not hot um, and also one thing that we know is that when it makes that travel for that long period of time over a, a, a large time period when that aqueduct is, is being used there are deposits mineral lime deposits all those different things that are being put into that aqueduct so as the water runs through it it picks those things up as well when that happens um, it actually creates a sulfur smell and taste to the water uh, the people in Laodicea because it's all they knew and all they were used to they got used to it they didn't smell it they didn't think anything of it but the travelers who came through who just had a nice cold drink in Colosse, you know they would come and. Drink some of that. It was obviously different. Yeah. Yeah, They were thinking, where did this water come from? Whose toilet did this come out of? Because that's what it was for them was like toilet water. Um, And so they would, known for spewing it out of their mouth mm. because it was so disgusting and, and putrid to them uh, but the people in, in Laodicea had gotten used to it. I would
0: imagine like if you're going to a city like growing up in South Louisiana there was a place called Port Sulfur that had a lot of sulfur there you could smell it when you drive into or if you live in a city that has a paper mill or something like that you're Right. you can really smell it or you, you can't smell it if you've been there for a long time but if you're visiting there if you've been away for a little while and you come back it's a strong smell. That's exactly I, I would right. It's probably the same with. It's kind of like when of you're water.
1: driving down the interstate and you don't you're not used to paper mills and then all of a sudden you go buy one everybody in the car starts blaming each other if <laughs> exactly. who, who did yeah. this thing yeah. well, we've yeah. all been there
0: <laughs>
1: so was. that gives you the idea of where the water comes from the benefit the, the uh, perspective that we're trying to pick up from this is the hot water here has a benefit and the cold water here is also beneficial so that makes sense of the passage now i wish you were hot or cold i wish you were refreshing i wish you had healing properties to you i wish you were a benefit to people
0: but instead you're neither of these you're this one you're lukewarm so not only does your lukewarm water doesn't serve any healing purpose or refreshment purposes but it also tastes terrible exactly and and so jesus is really coming and and comparing them to their to the water in that area
1: right and in essence um you're no benefit to the kingdom of God. You're, you're no benefit to those who are out there struggling and and um, really under the weight of sin and, and the consequences of sin, and you're not providing any gospel refuge. You're not providing any grace or mercy. You're not providing the hope of the gospel to these people because you've become self-absorbed and you've become lukewarm because of that.
0: And the sad thing is is you probably don't even notice that and you don't
1: you even realize that it's happened. That yeah. that that is the take of this passage right here,
0: which is pretty powerful. So walk us through verse seventeen, yeah. then, because obviously there's a lot more even in that one verse of going into this passage. Exactly. So seventeen. For you say, "I am rich, I have
1: prospered, I need nothing," not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor blind and naked. So, so there's I, that not
0: real, realizing part right there.
1: Exactly. You think you're this, but this is what you really are. So what do they think of themselves right there in that passage? They think they're rich, they think they're prosperous, they think they are they don't need anything. Uh, one thing that we know from uh, ancient history is that Laodicea, the city of Laodicea, actually had two earthquakes that almost completely destroyed the city. Um, Rome came in and offered to help them rebuild, and they had so much money there that they said, "We don't need your help." And they literally, two different times in their history, rebuilt their entire so they city. Were completely self-sufficient. They were completely they self-sufficient. to stay that way. Yes, which makes sense. You think you're rich and you think that you need nothing. You don't need anybody's help. But then he says, "You don't realize you're actually wretched and pitiable." And then these last three are the key: poor, blind and naked. The reason is, if you go do your research, and, and the crazy thing is, this isn't talking about understanding Greek or even being able to have a $165 commentary set series. This makes sense in the English. Exactly, it makes sense in the English, and you could just do a Google search on Laodicea and read about the history anywhere on the internet. It just gives you, it's not you know, biblical history, it's just history. Mm-hmm. And what you'll find is Laodicea was known in the first century for three things. Number one, it was a banking community because they had so much wealth in that community they had built these very substantive um, vaults, if you will, and so people from all over the world would bring their valuables and and invest them there to have them for safekeeping. Um, and beyond that, they were known. The reason they became so wealthy is they had an eye salve that um, that they would. Uh, it was known throughout the ancient world for you know, bettering eye problems, not not necessarily curing eye uh, eye uh, blindness or whatever, but, but improved
0: vision, or, improve vision
1: you know. or those different um, like dry eyes and all mm-hmm. that kind of thing. It was very beneficial for that. So they made a ton of money off of that. And there was another thing that was their greatest export was this kind of cloth and the dyeing process that they had. And it was the only place in the world that you could have this. And so it was really only afforded by nobility um, but anyone who was very wealthy who wanted this they would come by and get there and they made just tons of money off of that cloth and notice that jesus says to them you you think that you're prosperous and you don't need anything but you are poor blind and naked okay which speaks directly to those things that they thought they were now look at the next part of it i counsel you jesus is speaking to them to buy for me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich And then he says, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself. And then he says that you can buy from him a salve to anoint your eyes with so that you can see. He's speaking directly to the things that they understand and they knew was a part of their culture mm-hmm. and he actually says all of those things are temporary all those things are physical Jesus always speaks to us on a spiritual level and says you think that you have these things because you see it from a physical perspective but I'm offering you something great or something eternal something from the spiritual perspective and he's saying you need to come to me to get that eye medication you need to come to me to have clothes that that are you know this righteous apparel if you will you need to come to me to buy gold that's been refined in fire and so it speaks to that truth of jesus is our resource for everything and we got to quit quit thinking that in this life we are the ones who provide for ourselves and we're self-sufficient when we do that we become the rule of the people we be, we think of ourselves as a, I mean is there any truer picture of america then this picture right here of Laodicea, the rule of the people. We're wealthy, um, we're very prosperous. Um, we are really the envy of the world as far as our, um so many of the different systems, our medical aspects, uh, from our wealth and our banking systems to our economy. I mean, all these same things are true about us, and I think it's a warning to us as
0: well. And I would imagine the church in Laodicea was benefiting from all those economic advances that Absolutely. the city was able to to have. And and so I think that that's very applicable for the church today. So if we're preaching this to the church, not only is it very personably applicable ac- 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 applicable there you go to the individual I knew I'd get it out there
1: that's right uh, I like the individuals that you didn't give up for our on church.
0: it I didn't I yeah. stuck with it determination <laughs> we'll talk about that maybe in one of the podcasts as well uh, but uh, but you know it's so applicable for the church as a whole too yeah. and you know have we become comfortable with mediocrity have we come become comfortable with where we are not really realizing, realizing that where we are may not be what jesus intended for us i would imagine that laodicea had no idea that their water tasted bad and people would probably say that to him and say oh it tastes great to me uh, but you know the they're just like jesus says you're, you're like your water mm-hmm. you're you're useless you're pointless you serve nothing uh serve no benefit to the kingdom and you don't even realize you it. you don't even. And here's awesome what man. i want for you so what do we know about laodicea
1: well, the beautiful thing about this is um, one thing we know about the culture after, after John had this letter delivered to them, after they were able, obviously, to, to hear it and have it read, uh, of all seven churches, Laodicea lasted the longest, mm-hmm. so we think that they um, actually took heed to the warnings of Jesus and responded to them and apparently had many years, uh, well over 100 years of, of success of sharing the gospel and, and being true to the gospel.
0: So if you're listening to this, hopefully this was helpful for you and maybe this is something that you could use to, to teach your church or if you're a business leader, maybe a devotional in your office or something like that, but, or just for personal study. But I thought that's really interesting. Looking forward to the next four that we're going to walk through and, um, and see how maybe these passages have often been taken into context. Thanks, Jeff. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Enduring Leadership Podcast. If you would like more resources suggested books and commentaries, or if you'd like to book Jack or myself to speak at your church or organization, please visit our website, EnduringLeadershipPodcast.com.